Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of Just Curious Relationships. As always, I'm your host, Megan Holmgren, and today I'm joined by licensed marriage and family therapist, Margaret Doherty, as well as Dr. Chathan Sathya. I did get that right, right? Yes. Awesome. First try. (laughs) A pediatric trauma surgeon at Cohen's Children's Hospital and a National Institutes of Health funded firearm injury prevention researcher. Um, He also serves as director of Northwell Health Center for Gun Violence Prevention and oversees the health system's approach to firearm injury prevention. A lot of work. (laughs) So hello to you both and welcome and thank you for being here today. Thank you for having us. Very excited. Yeah. Um, I know, like I say in most of our episodes, Margaret, you're used to the whole spiel here, but... The little game. <laughs> Dr. Sadia, <laughs> what we do on Just Curious is I have gone through the corners of Reddit to find um, questions and prompts from anonymized uh, users, and then I bring in people like yourself and Margaret to respond to them in a blind react. Very cool. So, <laughs> really fun. Um, you guys can turn over your prompts that you have in front of you. And I will start. Question for parents who own guns. My husband is a police officer and he owns two guns that he keeps fully loaded in our home. We've had many arguments on this topic and I would like other parents' opinions. I don't know much about guns, but the guns that he owns are both Glock pistols. He keeps one on his duty belt in the holster within our children's reach, five-year-old and one-year-old. He says that they are not able to remove it from the holster because they simply won't know how. His duty belt hangs on his closet rod. The other one he keeps on our dresser in the case that it came in uh, when he bought it that easily snaps open. It does not lock. That gun is fully loaded with a bullet in the chamber. Uh, He says that our children, specifically our five-year-old, are smart enough to not mess with them and that it's apparently out of their reach. However, in 2019, I was in the shower and at the time our daughter was maybe three years old. He was not paying attention to her, and she had drug a chair against the dresser and was playing with things on top of it. His gun was up there also in the case I mentioned earlier. After that incident, I got him a gun safe. He used it for a while, but now he is telling me that putting them in the gun safe is pointless because they need to be readily available in case um, available if someone were to break in. He has since then given our gun safe away and has resorted to his old ways because to him... Where they are is, quote, safe because he talks to our daughter about gun safety and says she would never mess with them. And our one-year-old definitely can't get to them as she is always fully supervised and can't reach. Does anyone have advice on this? Nothing I say changes his mind. And I'm so tired of fighting about this at this point. I hate that he is a police officer and has to own one at all. Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) This is a great, I mean, a great not only topic to talk about, but a... um, you know, a, a very real concern for many parents and, and, and many folks who actually have access to firearms in the household. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll get into that actually in a little bit. But so as a mother to a young child, I have a three-year-old. Um, I, I know I have some thoughts on this, um, but I'm curious to hear <clears throat> for each of you what your kind of immediate reactions to this specific um, prompt is. So I see it more of like values, right? Like what's important to each partner, what is something that they view differently completely. Like 
not having a conversation with any kind of solution, right? No negotiation. No, like, how can we both be comfortable in this situation? It's more of he's saying, I'm fine with this. Mm-hmm. And then she has to be fine with it, which she clearly is not fine with it. Yeah. So he kind of has the power here. And unfortunately, he doesn't want to change his mind. And my fear is, will he change his mind when somebody is hurt, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. even have to be the kids. It could be, you know, if you have family holidays at your house, people roam around your house all the time. You know, kids see things and mm-hmm. they just want to climb into them. And she's not even saying don't have the gun. Clearly, he needs to. He's a police officer. But what she just wants is to keep it in a place that is safe for everybody. Yeah. Because turn on the news, right? Like where people are getting guns, gun violence is high, even Mm -hmm. here on Long Island. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, You know, it's important to understand that currently in America, eight children per day die as a result of unsecured firearms in the household. Mm -hmm. So that's what we call unintentional firearm injuries. And again, this is a very real concern, what what this story here demonstrates, right? Is that many families have access to guns, and these are the common questions that come up. And this is not about the Second Amendment. We, we make that very clear. This is not about gun ownership, right? Mm-hmm. I think everyone here respects everyone's right to own a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a real concern. Now, I, I, I have two daughters, a three-and-a-half-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. And, and, and I can tell you, you know, there are studies that actually show that kids two-and-a-half or three years and up are all capable of pulling the trigger. Mm-hmm. They don't know, no matter how much you educate them, that it's not a toy. They will experiment. They will likely pull the trigger, and they will likely find a gun that many parents think are hidden. Or out unless, of nature. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, unless they're actually stored in a gun safe, mm-hmm. like in this example. So I think it's important to educate around that. And, and then we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about each of these elements, yep. right? Okay. Yep. So there's a couple other points, but let's start with that. And yeah. I'm thinking, you know, the kids are little now, but what happens when the daughter's 15 years old Mm -hmm. and maybe there's a partner involved or there's violence? Like, we also don't know how brain development and child development is going to go, right? Right. Five-year-old right now has no anger issues or has nothing going on or isn't suicidal, right? But what happens when that kid gets older and life is really happening to these kids? What if these things start to become an issue and they have easy access to these Mm -hmm. guns? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I guess I think I know how both of you would respond, but well, just I want to clear it up, you know, from kind of the forefront, at least with regard to this prompt, like this then is not gun safety. Just saying, well, they're out of reach. That's that's not good gun safety. No, they're also not out of reach. I also, <laughs> I mean, don't, I also don't believe well, yeah. that they're yeah. not accessible. Yeah. The, you know, you have to consider there's two things. They're not only not out of reach for the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not out of reach for this dad. This mom or anyone who goes to that house. Yeah. Right. This is a common concern also for parents who send their kids to other houses. Right. Like this conversation that I'm sure we'll get into in a second. So, (laughs) I I mean, yeah, it's absolutely not at a reach. And and listen, law enforcement, this this gentleman here is a police officer. Law enforcement, you know, they are our biggest supporters. Mm -hmm. Right. They they form the bulk of responsible gun owners in this country who are all for gun safety. Mm -hmm. And so but sometimes there needs to be a little bit of education. Uh, you know, yep. around this and 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 this narrative later that having a gun in the yeah. household keeps me safe is is has been completely disproven. Yeah. Um, to that actually specific point, there so probably not surprisingly, there was a lot of commenters um, that responded back in, but one in particular that I pulled out and that I wanted to get your opinion on, and I've I've kind of he wrote a longer series of comments, so I took just the threads from it. Um, he wrote. 
or they wrote, the thing is, police officers are not experts on firearms. You might think they are, but the training and actual range time is minimal. Unfortunately, it falls into the trap of, quote, can't happen to me that comes from being comfortable with something but not well educated on it. And I don't mean to call this out to make some kind of blanketed statement about law enforcement officers because I realize that there's probably more than not that do practice good gun safety measures. Um, But do you think that... um, this is something in your work that you found to be true, that just because somebody might own a weapon, whether it's because it's for their job or because they just want to have protection in their home, um, but they're maybe not educated enough on it that they think that they're doing enough, but in reality, it, it falls short. Yep. Yep. One, 100%. Most police officers that I know do safely store their weapons. Mm-hmm. In fact, they are our champions of safe storage. Yeah. So... Uh, I think this is very much the minority, um, but you're right. The more comfortable, you know, if you think you're invincible from this, you're completely wrong. And and we focus on a public health approach. A part of a public health approach is also having policies and laws yeah. that in many ways mandate safe storage, right? Because that's what needs to happen in cases like this. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, sort of to that end, actually, um, I, I want to kind of talk about what gun violence actually looks like, because it's something you sort of quickly mentioned and you're maybe alluding to there. And I know when events like Sandy Hook and Parkland and Buffalo and now Uvalde happen, um, I think they tend to dominate headlines and rightfully so. Um, But after a while, I I wonder if those are what become synonymous with the phrase gun violence um, in people's minds. So I'm, I, I personally know the answer, but I, I want to hear your kind of explanation and thoughts on it. Is that what the real reflection of everyday gun violence looks like? You know, these big mass shooting events? Not at all. No. Um, you know, as, as frontline providers, we've, of course, day after day, see the aftermaths of gun violence, and it does not look like mass shootings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the majority of gun violence in this country is suicide, firearm-related suicide, followed by homicide, and then these unintentional injuries. Mass shootings really encompass a very small minority of that. Mm-hmm. And that's a very important point. When we say the word gun violence, it's a misnomer of sorts. We're talking about firearm-related injuries, Mm -hmm. and they can either be suicide, homicide, or unintentional injuries. So this is something that actually affects all of us. You know, there are many people who say, oh, this doesn't affect me. We don't have a violent community. It's not just violence. Yeah. Uh, You know, firearms are are devastating us in many different ways. Yeah. Um, And just because this prompt does involve kids, and we'll get kind of into the parenting and the relationship aspect of it, but... um, I know that there's a, a tidbit in doing research um, that I'm sure you're inf- you know, pretty intimately uh, familiar with, but that gun violence actually has surpassed um, motor vehicle accidents as a leading cause of death for, um, for children and adolescents. Um, and it's, it's just startling because I, I feel like, and I, I kind of wonder, do you think that's something that pe- most people realize? And if, if not, you know, how can we do our part as citizens and people listening to this podcast to spread that word and, and make people more aware of it. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't really understand that this is an issue that can affect mm-hmm. their children. Um, and if you look at these recent mass shooting events, right, if you see what some of these parents are saying, they're saying, we would have never imagined this would happen at our school, Yeah, in our community, but it does. Yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is the most likely reason your kid will die in this country right now is at the hands of a fire, yep. period. So that needs to really, really settle in. And then I think your, your, your latter is probably a much broader thing to talk about. What can people do? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you want me to address that now. Yeah, or yeah, please. 
I think the first thing is dialogue, mm-hmm. right? You know, let's we need to comf- be, become comfortable with how we talk about this um, as parents, with mm-hmm. other parents, with teachers, our communities. This should not be a stigmatized, op- you know, uh, topic. We have to really remember that no matter which side of the political aisle you sit on, everybody wants safer communities, and most yeah. people are for responsible gun ownership. Yeah. And so this should be something we talk about. We should be feel, you know, we should feel comfortable saying, hey, um, I don't want my kids to go over to this house, maybe, if there are unsecured weapons. Or maybe, you know, that's how education is really going to start in the community. Yeah. And we should also be comfortable in many ways utilizing current laws like red flag laws or, or being educated about those when we have concerns about what a at-risk youth might do with a weapon. Mm-hmm. Or what they might look like leading up to it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I think for the red flag, especially with kids on Long Island, like gang violence is very prevalent mm-hmm. on Long Island. I know if you ask many people that live on Long Island, they'll be like, no, not here. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Family and Children's Association actually has a program called SNUGS, which is gun spelled backwards. And they go and they, if there is a shooting or there is violence, they go out in the street. They try to talk to people. They try to get them services. Like this is happening on a consistent basis, right? It's not just the mass shootings. Yeah. It's fights between kids in school and somebody has a gun because they had access to it. It's not even all gang violence, right? It's just kind of what's happening. I mean, kids are sitting in their homes and there's a stray bullet and they get hit. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not just these big things we see on TV, which are horrific, and it brings attention to it. But then you have to look on the smaller. What's going on in my town and the surrounding towns? Yeah. What's going on in my kid's school? What does the bigger picture look like? Yeah, yeah, you go into some Long Island schools, you have to go through a metal detector. Yeah. Like, it, it, it is happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does exist. I think to to kind of piggyback off something you were saying, Dr. Sathya, um, and it was, it's a question I think um, that, you know, we on the well are, are kind of grappling with how to best advise parents and how to best ask ourselves, and um, we'll have more stuff coming up on it. But for parents of young and school-age children, Um, But to your point, it is a stigmatized topic. It is a little bit uncomfortable to ask parents of your children's friends whether they have weapons in the home. Um, But it is an important conversation to have. So I guess for both of you, how can people get past that awkwardness of the topic and ask the questions that they need to um, in order to feel safe having their children in in a situation where maybe they're dropping them off and saying, okay, see you in a couple of hours. They're having a play date or whatever it is, or they just don't not intimately familiar with the home and what's its contents. Um, so how can parents start that conversation mm-hmm. with other adults? Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because, you know, of course, no one wants to offend anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we can say all we want that it's, it's a conversation that should be had. But at the end of the day, I, I, you know, I completely understand that it's difficult. Yeah. I just reiterate that most people are actually open to having the conversation if you bring it up in the right way. We already ask about pool safety when we send our kids over or child safety gates, yeah. right? And it's an opportunity to educate. If, if you want to ask that question, you can say, hey, listen, um, I love that, you know, Jim and Jack are great friends. You know, they're, <laughs> they're going to be playing at your house. Um, loop it into other questions. Yeah. Do you guys have a pool? Do you have child safety gates? Are there by any chance any weapons at the home? You know, we know that, you know, Jack can be very adventurous. Sometimes he can pull something, just want to make sure it's stored safely. And then, you know, if if you need to back out, maybe that's going to create a conflict there. But, you know, at the end of the day, obviously your child's life is important. Yeah. And it's not going to be something you regret. 
And I think as a parent working on that inner judgment, if mm-hmm. I ask that question, what are they going to think about me? Mm-hmm. And then weighing the pros and cons of that. Like, okay, maybe their friendship, he won't be able to go to their house, but my child will be safe if she tells me, oh, we do have, you know, firearms in the house. And, like, they're here, but she doesn't talk about how they're locked up, right? Yeah. About being the parent first and going in that mindset rather than, like, oh, but I want my child to be happy because he can go on the play date. Yeah there'll be another kid that they can go on a play date with. What do you do if something happens to your child in any of those circumstances and then they're dead? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Or or your child by accident will pick up a gun and shoot another kid or an adult, right? Or, and, or, and or vice versa, their friend might or, you know. Or, or their friend might. And, yeah. then, and then, you know, that child will be traumatized by doing that. And, Absolutely. And, and obviously that child didn't mean to, you know. And I have that loop, and this might show my age, of 90210. I don't know if anyone <laughs> saw the – David was at his friend's house, and he was playing with his dad's gun on yeah. his finger, and he, the friend shot himself and killed himself. Oh, really? In front Amazing. of da- – and it was like – and he knew it. He knew the gun. He knew where it was. He had access to it. He knew where the key was. Hmm. And he still played with it and still shot himself. Wow. I, you know what's funny is I was never a big 90210 person, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised that in the era that that show aired, or is, was that part of the reboot? No, it was the original. That's surprising. That in the earlier seasons. I'm, I'm actually surprised that that was something that they, ta- they covered back then, but I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure it was still an issue. So we kind of started to touch on it, but what if you do find out that there are guns or weapons in a Mm -hmm, home? mm -hmm. Um, How do you move forward from that? Do you not let your kid play there? Do you ask parents about safety measures so you can kind of determine your own comfort level? Um, Do you ask if they can remove the the gun or weapons from the home? Do you maybe suggest a a neutral meeting Mm -hmm, place mm -hmm. rather than someone's home? Um, Like how, what can parents do? Yeah. I think the latter point there is probably the, the most realistic, mm-hmm. you know, ha- having a neutral uh, meeting point. Yeah. This is a slow process, right? You know, if, if you have a conversation with another parent, and I'm sure I'd love to hear from you on, you know, h- how these conversations in general evolve, but if they're not ready for change, mm-hmm. this, is, this is like classic, you know, change management or, you know, what stages of change are people in? Yeah. If they're not ready to have the conversation, then it's going to stop, you know, it's going to be at a standstill. And it, just the fact that you asked, yeah. If you ask it the right way, it's probably not going to offend them. Yeah. Then you pick a neutral location. But if there is some leeway there, you know, that is an opportunity for them to educate. They're probably, no matter what they say, going to go back home and, and think about it yeah. and start looking into it, and it might change their behavior. And, yeah, if, if, if it's a big party, you know, and you can't pick a neutral location, then you, I think you have to make a decision. Yeah. Um, and it might be that you decide still to send your kid there, which is okay. Yeah. Um, if there's an iterative, you know, if there's a plan, okay, maybe next time we'll consider it, right? Yeah. It, it, this is all going to depend on what the relationship is like. And that you can only control what you can control, right? Yeah. yeah. Once your child's in that house and you're not there, you lose control. That's any play date, right? Like you don't know what's going on. Yeah. But if it makes you that uncomfortable that you don't want to send your kid there, that's what you can control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is a hard decision because I think people worry about the criticism and the judgment. You know, well, is that parent going to go tell somebody, the other parent, that I'm scared of guns? Like, what's going to be the impact also for the parent based on that conversation, even if it was done gently? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the other person's defensiveness of, like, how they feel about the way that they're living and that somebody's even questioning it. And I think that you can control what you can control Mm -hmm. and to be mindful of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and it's also important that we don't, you're right. I mean, we don't need, this is not about vilifying. Right. Right. Somebody who chooses not to store their weapon safely. Right. right? This is about, these are personal decisions, Mm -hmm. um, opportunities for education. Yeah. And so 
You're right. I, I mean, let's say they feel very strongly they don't want to safely store that weapon. Then you might make the argument that you should be there at that play date. Yeah. You know, that you wouldn't want your kids. Maybe a middle ground is you don't want them unsupervised at all if you're comfortable with that. Or you don't want to go at all or a neutral location, right? Of that, course. That's all going to matter. Absolutely. Yeah. So to sort of pivot into, you know, this couple specifically, um, I think it's, it's fair to say, you know, if someone is like, I want my kids to have a vegetable with every dinner, but my husband insists on giving them a piece of candy instead. Like that's a very, I mean, there are other health implications that go along with that, but that's a very uh, different conversation and different fight and battle to have in terms of kind of severity and weight that it carries. So it, it almost seems from what she has written here. And, you know, as always, these are, this kind of like the, the, I don't want to say flaw, but that's the catch to these is that you only have one perspective to go off of. It seems like he's almost disregarding his wife's concern and, and diminishing them and minimizing that. Is that fair or okay? And how can she, it seems like she's had some success, maybe very small in the past before he kind of reverted back. So how can she make this point again and maybe have a breakthrough? I, I for sure think it's a power dynamic, right? Like, he wants the power around this. I wonder how she's bringing it up. Is she bringing it up about the guns or is she bringing it up about the kids? Mm -hmm. Because if she starts this conversation going against his guns, mm -hmm. he's going to shut down. He's going to get defensive. If it comes from more of, like, I'm worried about our children, I'm worried about the children's safety, mm -hmm. everything going on in the world, maybe I'm having anxiety. Like, keeping it to how she feels about the safety of her children yeah. versus you have these guns. I hate that you're a police officer now, which is what she says at the end. Yeah. And these guns are causing a problem. He's not going to hear her. He's just going to get defensive of, like, this is my job. I need to have the guns. I don't think this is going to happen. Yeah. And he might even come back with, those guns are the things that would keep us safe if something were to happen. Well, that's what he said. Having it in a locked place, if somebody breaks into the house, like, how are we going to protect ourselves? And mm -hmm. then maybe it's there, we get a different security system. Maybe we get cameras. Maybe mm -hmm. we leave the door open of the bedroom that if somebody's coming in, we can hear. Like, there's all these other options. Yeah. But I think it very much focuses on his guns. Yeah. And again, I don't know. Right. But if that's the way she's communicating it to him, she's never going to get through to him. And would the same go for, I mean, because I'm sure it probably wouldn't surprise either of you to hear this, but in, in doing the research and finding this specific prompt, I had a lot to choose from. <laughs> there I'm was sure. many different things. And, and actually, in full transparency, we had kind of a different prompt in mind. But with some recent events, we wanted to pivot to something more like this to focus on this kind of vein of conversation about gun control and gun violence prevention. But um, some of the other ones involved, you know, family members that didn't live in the home with them, but that you you were aware that there were weapons in the home. And how do I get to a place where I can relay how uncomfortable I feel to my family member and or, you know, to either to the end of getting them to stop purchasing more weapons or having weapons? Or how can I how can we find a middle ground where I can be comfortable and they still have their guns and my child can go to their home? And it goes back to that control. You can't control if your family members buy guns have guns you can educate mm -hmm. but at the end of the day they're going to do what they want to do yeah right and it's learning to communicate how you feel about it and what goes on for you versus attacking them yeah if you go to attack their beliefs what they want what they want to have they're not going to hear how you feel they don't care at that point because you're attacking what they want and how they 
choose to live their life, right? Which is, yeah. again, the Second Amendment. And I think a lot of people are saying, if you want to own your guns, like, that's okay. We just need these other things around it yeah. in order to make sure that we are as safe as possible. Yeah. We're never going to have 100% safety of guns, mm-hmm. gun violence. They exist. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. So we've talked a bunch about, um, you know, different ways that you can practice gun safety in the home. But for m- people who maybe aren't gun owners um, or are really have casual kind of a relationship with guns, um, what are some of these measures? Because I know in this prompt specifically, he references you know, what if something does happen and someone breaks in, I need to be able to get to it. And this is cumbersome and it's going to impede my ability to protect us and our family. Um, so what I'm, I'm willing to bet that there are measures that kind of solve for that problem that still keep things safe and protected and only in the hands of the intended user, not maybe their child or someone else visiting their home casually. What are they? just so that people can kind of have a, a, it doesn't have to be exhaustive, but just so Mm -hmm. people can start understanding what options there are. Mm -hmm. So this is a very um, common reason for why people want easy access to guns, right? Mm -hmm. The number one reason is usually hunting, and number two is this. Um, But to go back to what I said earlier, we actually know that no matter how learned an owner you are, that having a gun in the household increases your odds of not only homicide, Mm-hmm. Um, even if a perpetrator comes into your household, because often you accidentally shoot somebody or you don't actually solve the issue, yeah. even if you're a police officer. Um, and also exponentially increases the odds of suicide or unintentional injury in the home, of course. So the, the options that we have are just like outlined here, you know, gun safes, mm-hmm. um, gun locks right on the gun that can easily be taken off quickly, mm-hmm. uh, storing your gun separately from ammunition, so unloaded, um, locked in different areas. To truly address this concern, you know, that, that's getting into more like smart gun technology and so on. And, and, and we're a ways away from that being adopted mm-hmm. into current gun technology. Like, let's say you have a fingerprint on a gun that can only activate when you're touching it, right? That would be great. Yeah. Um, that hasn't been widespread adopted yet. Okay. Uh, hopefully we'll get there. But I think these safety devices, even things like gun locks, um, it's not in a safe. You still have access to it. You can quickly take off the gun lock if you need. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but having access to that weapon is likely not going to save your family's life. Yeah. And maybe addressing the anxiety of the fact that if somebody breaks in, like, where's that anxiety coming from? And how strong is that anxiety that you need to keep a gun next to you at all times? Like, right, what else is going on for the husband that Mm -hmm. he's so nervous that he's going to need to protect his family in that way, right? And I can imagine probably the job, right? Like, things Mm -hmm. he's seen, things he's heard. And can we look at that anxiety and say, like, what else can we do to help you feel better and cope with that rather than having that quick access to the gun? Yeah. I will say the more I read this prompt and kind of went through it in my head, the more I, because now I forever try to apply (laughs) a therapy lens to it and the the type of things that it would bring to mind for me. So this um, specifically brings up, I would think, a lot of issues around trust and safety and feeling secure in your home, your own home. And you talked about that. That I would think that's a huge deal um, in a relationship to feel like you don't feel safe in your own home. You're, you don't feel that your children are safe in your own home and that the cause of that, you know, at least by proxy is your partner. How do you reconcile that and what kind of damage really can that do to a relationship, especially if they're unwilling to kind of come to a middle ground or implement safety measures in this case? 
I think knowing that they're not fighting about the gun, right? Like, yes, they are, but usually Mm -hmm. when couples come in, they're having the same fight over and over again, and the content is changing, but the context isn't, right? So is it that trust? Maybe I don't trust my husband. My husband's not hearing me. Maybe my wife doesn't understand me and understand what this world is like, right? Like, this Mm -hmm. is so much deeper than the idea of the gun. Yeah. The gun is very dangerous, so it heightens the conversation about it. But how are they communicating about how to raise their kids? How are they communicating about everything else? I would imagine this is not the only thing they're not on the same page about. Yeah. And can they realize that it's not what you're talking about, but the deeper level of how you're feeling and how you view your partner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So how, you, you know, and it, this is a difficult... Um, you're right, I mean, it's a difficult conversation to have as a, as a couple, you know, and I've met a number of parents, unfortunately, who were having these types of discussions mm-hmm. and then they had their own child kill themselves or, you know, have an accident with someone else and then it led to a significant fracture in that relationship where they, you know, after that you can't come back. And have these conversations before marriage, before children. Like, what if she just assumed, well, when we have kids, of course, then he's going to lock it up. Yeah. Right? Like, so there's that unconscious expectation when he does this, when we do this, he's going to do that. And he could be like, nobody ever said to me, if we have kids, I have to lock up these guns. Right. So also, where's the narrative coming from? Is it coming from something you assumed they were going to do and then they didn't? Mm -hmm. And you're mad at them and they're like, I don't understand why you're mad. We never talked about this. Right, because if there's a change in sort of what's acceptable behavior or habit from, say, when you're single or when you're engaged or married and without children to now when you have children, which certainly I could see that having shifted with the presence of small children in their home. Yeah. Um. You have to voice that, the change in kind of expectation and, um, you know, thoughts on on how that should be handled, how weapons should be handled specifically in this case. Like, if you don't voice that, they don't know. Before there's kids and before it's like, what do we do? And something's happening and I saw the kid holding the gun. Like, before the emotions are even higher. Yeah. Because then you're emotionally dysregulated and you're not communicating in a way that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Something I want to sort of kind of dive a little bit more into and you talked about you know it's it's one thing to talk about it It, there's certainly I think a culture of it'll never happen to me it'll never happen in my town and it's it's really easy to cite um national statistics and I'm going to do it again before we sign off today but before that what do the numbers look like in our area because I think you know a lot of people that are going to be listening are local to Long Island or the New York area and so what what does this picture, what picture is being painted? Mm-hmm. So, first of all, I mean, New York has a very high rate of gun ownership, mm-hmm. which is not a problem, but it's important to understand that throughout Long Island, the rest of the state, um, there are a lot of guns in homes. Mm-hmm. And as a result, <clears throat> there are quite high rates of firearm-related suicide throughout the state and Long Island. Um, <clears throat> Specifically with respect to homicide, yeah. as you mentioned earlier, uh, Hempstead, Brentwood, you know, these are real hotspots for not only gang violence, but farm-related homicide. And increasingly, just like we're seeing in the city, Queens, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. even Manhattan, a lot of kids and others who are innocent bystanders are being shot more and more. Yeah. Right? So this is absolutely an issue right here in our backyard. I mean, at our children's hospital here, we've seen more kids with bullet wounds this year than any other year on history total. Wow. 
So we've already exceeded any other year. And we're, we're only halfway through the year. Yeah, yeah. We've exceeded it by almost two times already. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And these are not kids just from one neighborhood. These are kids throughout Long Island um, from many neighborhoods that we live in, too. Yeah. So um, I think we need to all get activated about it and not just look at this from the mass shooting lens. It's still happening every day. Yeah. Okay. Um, as I said, I do have one more thing I want to kind of leave, not as a question, but before I get to that, I want to make sure, you know, Dr. Sadia, uh, you know, this is such an important topic. So is there anything else that you think, you know, parents or just people in general need to know about gun violence mm-hmm. that we maybe haven't yet talked about? Yeah, no, I, I, I think um, we hit on critical, critical points, really, that this gun violence means many different things in different communities. Yeah. And um, the, the biggest thing here is that we are not as divided as we think. Mm-hmm. Gun owners support this stuff. Um, people from every community, they support this stuff, right? Who wants kids to be dying, right? And, and some of these fears about wanting to protect yourself and so on are real fears, and we should legitimize them in many ways, right? We, we, we need to hear them out. But it's important to educate here that, you know, guns do not make you safer. If guns made you safer... America would have far fewer gun deaths, right? Right, but yeah. we have the most guns in the world, and we are the most violent um, firearm violent country in the world by far. Yeah. So why is that the case, right? Y- y- you know, you can't arm. We don't want everyone arming themselves and shooting each other. I mean, that just makes no sense. Yeah, that just makes the problem worse. Yeah. If anything. I'm reeling a little from that statistic still about (laughs) the children's hospital this year. Um, I think it's having the conversation and Mm -hmm. like being uncomfortable having the conversation. And as a parent, it may be you think you might be scaring your child. Mm -hmm. But what a child doesn't know and if nobody's talking to them about it, what's going on in their head is much, much worse because they don't know. They don't have anybody leading them, giving them information. I remember being in middle school when Columbine happened. We had Mm -hmm. threats, and I begged my mom to stay home, which she let me, but she also didn't talk to me about the anxiety and the fear. It was like, it's not going to happen. And it's like, logically, we know that, but, like, having those conversations, are you scared? Yeah. You know, or sometimes these kids normalize these active drills, like, not even if it happens, when it happens, mom, don't worry, I know what to do. Yeah. And kind of talking to them about how, maybe not normal it is and like the hope is that the gun laws will change and things like that i think to that end like i i mean i was also in school when columbine happened and i i've you know as we've gone through different prompts and trying to pick this one and um just looking at you know um what how else we want to be covering you know the topic of gun violence and gun violence prevention um like columbine happened in 1999 it but then like I feel like the the culture then is so different because it happened and I I can't think I mean I'm sure it did. I can't think of another event that happened really for years and years and years that kind of got this big attention and became and now it's just it's such a part of the culture to your point of like it is so normalized and it shouldn't be. Right, it was like Columbine and then like say Virginia Tech 2007. Right. So like that's a 8 years of like none of that happening. Right. The statistic I saw is like 70 mass shootings since Uvalde. Mhm. That's all, that's not even a month ago. Yeah, I think so far yeah. this year for the for United States we're over two hundred and twenty. Yep. Um, at, at the time of this recording, mass shootings. Um, which we do a, a TLDR every episode, which is a too long didn't read. Um, and we do something a little bit different for this one though. Um, 
normally we kind of sum up and make it very succinct. So if someone's skipping to the end of the episode, which they shouldn't, they get a, a kind of cliff notes. But sorry, I don't even know what. I looked at the stats today before I came here. And as of June 15th, wow, why? <laughs> um, the number of children between zero years old and 11 that have been killed in this country are 163. 338 have been injured. The number of teens between 12 and 17 that have been killed are 589, and the number injured is 1,562. So the next time that the thought occurs to you, maybe this wouldn't happen to me, think about them. Well said. Thank you guys for joining us. Well said. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for talking about this. Yeah. Magic. I really don't know why I just got so, like... Well, it, it, I mean... It's difficult, especially if you have young kids. Like, yeah. I don't have young kids, so... And I'm already reeled up about it. I can't imagine oh, having it's, children. It, it's just... And, and, you know, people don't... It, it can happen to any of us, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, these parents, none of, they all live in communities like ours. And so, yeah, I, I always, I, I bring this up commonly. I mean, Michael Dowling uh, often cites this, this story as well, but my first week in the job in Chicago, I treated a six-month-old little baby with a bullet wound, and I thought about my own daughter. You know, they, they look the same. And just seeing how these bullets rip up these bodies and these mm -hmm. kids die is just horrific. Yeah. Okay. I don't Thank think, you. I don't think we can say anything past that, so. Thank you um. for... Thank you for Talking coming. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Margaret, of for joining course. us.